Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Brad Van Dam. He's the Vice President of Sales at Metal Era. Brad, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun and um, I really enjoy doing these. I'm getting better with each one I do and I really appreciate you giving me the chance to get better. Yeah, and I'm just looking at your name. You know, you know, some people's names you like saying and Brad Van Dam feels great to say. Have you heard that before? <laughs> yeah, actually, since I was a kid, when uh, Jean Claude Van Dam became popular, I've uh, I've always had to deal with that. So, so yeah, it is a fun name to say, and uh, I've I've had some fun stories through the years where uh, people ask if I'm related, and I am certainly not, but uh, I, I do enjoy having a, a strong last name. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, you know how sometimes, you know, some people are sort of, they, they have a name or they maybe they're, you know, fast or something like that. And they try to push them into that. Did, has anyone tried to convince you into martial arts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they, they usually just ask me if I if I know how to do the splits, because I think yeah. that's that's what uh, Jean-Claude is more famous for. But uh, yeah, so, so no, I can't currently do the splits, just to be clear. <laughs> Got it. But you can play volleyball. I, I see. I can. Yes, I, I can play volleyball. Not as good as I did when I was younger, but my favorite now is coaching. So I'm very active in coaching youth volleyball. I serve on the board for a very large youth volleyball organization in, in Wisconsin. And I would have to argue that that is probably one of my passions right now and certainly has been. I just looked my first year of coaching was 1992. And so I'm I'm going into my 30th year of coaching youth volleyball. So uh, clearly, it's something I enjoy. And, and that's definitely something I'm very passionate about. I like entrepreneurship. I know you have some entrepreneurial background. I know people that are very competitive, or they like sports, there's a a large group or a fairly large group of people that head towards sales and entrepreneurship and you've done both. So, you know, what sort of possessed you to start a business and, and operate it for, it looks like over 18 years. Yeah. So uh, I, good questions. I had always known that I wanted to, to start a business and certainly that was something that was kind of in my blood. And even before I started with my uncle and we built uh, the business I was in on the contracting side for 18 years, I had actually come to him with an idea for another business I was planning to start with a friend, a spray-on bedliner business back when it was brand new. And that really, for me, turned into you know, what's the right decision and, and where do I want to deploy my time? And, and he convinced me to, to come with him and, and start a different business. And I did. And we ran that for, for a very long time together. And then, you know, total for me about 18 years. So I think inside, it was just something that I wanted to, you know, kind of always take that leadership role. And I just love building things. And so like, I look back now, obviously many years later and, it was really the joy of building something that you could say, look, I, I helped build that or I was a part of building that. And then the leadership part, back to your comment about sports and athletes, 
I think, you know, a lot of athletes find how and what their leadership style is when they're playing sports. You know, some leaders are silent and, and um, you know, really lead by example. Others, you know, maybe more vocal and hopefully lead by example. But ultimately, you know, in sports, you're forced in many situations to take a leadership role. And, you know, I think people that like sports often, you know, like to, you know, like to show that in leadership. So I think those two tie together a lot. And um, you're always taught when you're younger to take some risks as you're learning a new sport. You know, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to fail, you know, you're the first time you pick up a volleyball, you're not going to be a, an all pro or an all American, you know, you're going to have to, to learn different things. And so I think that coincides a lot with, um, you know, sports and business entrepreneurship, you know, breaking into something where you know, you're going to make some mistakes, you're not going to be perfect, and you have to be okay with messing up a couple times on your way to getting better. So I think those things kind of tie together. So you, you make a good point and sports and, you know, entrepreneurship kind of blending together. I think in a lot of ways they can and do, and, you know, it's kind of a neat connection. Yeah. So I noticed you mentioned your first idea with a bedliner, a coding business, and then also on the contracting side, you're part of the, the coding side of things. Was it just a coincidence or just something, something that interested you there? Yes. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. So the um, I purchased a Ford Ranger and I had a bed liner installed on it from a, a recognized, you know, at the time, one of the first bed liner spray on companies. And I, I remember I was living in San Diego and I had to drive up to LA to get this done. And for those that live in San Diego, Sometimes the drive is fast and usually it's slow, you know, traffic and everything. So I just, I'll never forget, I was driving up there and I'm thinking, why don't they have one of these in San Diego? And so we did some research. A friend of mine who is, uh, also had a Ford Ranger and also had done a spray on bed liner, he and I were talking about, well, this would make sense. Let's, you know, maybe we should start a business doing these down in San Diego. And, um, and so we drafted up the business plan, got some information on the loan, uh, back then the rate was like 14% for a business loan, you know, for a, a young dumb kid like me. And I'd lined all that up and, and I just, I just had this thought. I'm like, I need to really talk to somebody who's done this before. <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't sign away my life to a franchise. And, you know, I don't know who knows. And so, uh, I sent the business plan to my uncle who had a business in Wisconsin and, um, asked him to take a look at it. And back then, you know, we weren't emailing stuff. We were like mailing it. And so, you know, a week or two later, he calls me back and says, you know, I don't know anything about bedliners and I've never been a franchisee, but, you know, hey, I've got, I've got this idea and, and this little business here I'm running, you know, would you be interested in coming out here and, and helping me build something in, in this codings business? And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I, I don't know any better. Let's, and so uh, part of the deal was I could I could keep my seed money, uh, which realistically just kind of helped pay for my move from San Diego to, to Wisconsin. And then I, I, I packed everything I had into the Ford Ranger and it all fit <laughs> and then drove from San Diego to Wisconsin with a couple of buddies, dropped them along the way at different places, one in Texas. One ended up in Minnesota and that uh, then my journey started. So yeah. And I, I still laugh about it today. I left in March, end of March that year. I went to bed in Wisconsin on March 31st. 
and it was pretty comfortable. I remember the weather was was pretty nice. Like it was in a, in the high fifties, sixties. You know, a nice day, nice evening. And so I went to bed, and it was pretty warm. And then the next morning, I woke up, and there was a couple inches of snow, and it was freezing cold. And that was my first, you know, next morning in Wisconsin after living in San Diego for for way too long. So yeah, it's one thing yeah. to start a business, but then also just changing your environment, uh, you know, yeah. drastically. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a big change for me. So, but it was a great great time. Had a lot of um, great great teammates along the way. A lot of awesome humans that uh, you know helped helped kind of grow that. Um, you know, and then. You know, obviously ran that for 18 years and then transitioned over, uh, transitioned over into, you know, where I'm at today at uh, MTL, which is the parent company of Metal Era and Hickman and, and now, you know, work with a great group of people and have been a big part of, uh, you know, with my teammates here, building, you know, another business, this one, you know, having already been started with a strong history, uh, but ultimately helping to build that up to where we are today. So it's absolutely it's so so before we transition into the the, the metal era yeah. side of things, you know, we're we're part of the coding industry. Like, you know, I've been as I understand, but just out of curiosity, you know, if if you were talking to someone that knew nothing about the coding industry or the contracting side of things and they were coming in, right? What what are some pieces of advice you would give them specifically this type of business that you are running? Like what wow. sort of like big lessons, learnings, like I should have known, I wish I knew kind of things you would pass on specific to that type of business? Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I've thought about this, you know, with all the lessons learned, right? And, and after 18 years on, on that side, uh, first, I would say align yourself with uh, tremendous suppliers of coding, right? Um, through the years, we had some amazing partnerships and companies that worked with us that, you know, had technical support, backed their products, really did a good job of helping me as a contractor understand what I needed to do to be successful. So first and foremost, align yourself with good partners. And there's a little bit of trial and error with that. However, you know, most of us can see in the industry, those that are, are there with you when there's a problem and those that run away, you know, when something happens, because there, there will always be errors, mistakes, and things that happen in business. And it's really how we, we deal with them as partners, you know, both with our customers and with our vendors, you know, that are important. So I would, I would say first and foremost, align yourself with good coding suppliers and vendors that are going to give you products as a contractor that, you know, they'll stand behind. The second thing I, I learned, and this was this was a lesson learned many a time, is preparation is key. It involves preparation at the bid phase, it involves preparation on the concrete or whatever your coating side, be that a roof, be that, you know, whatever you're putting a coating on. And uh, failed prep work downs more people than anything else. And, you know, ultimately the time spent on the prep work really does does turn into profitability. And, you know, the more time you spend in that and get it right, the less likely you are to have issues, the better your brand, and ultimately the better the outcome for, for you as a business owner and for your people, for your team, for your reputation, and, and for your partners, right? Your coding supplier wants you to prep well. They want you to put the time in. They don't want you to get it wrong. There's never a winner when a coding fails. Right. The owner doesn't win. The 
contractor doesn't win and the coatings company doesn't win, everyone loses. And so I think that those are two key lessons. The third, hire people that like to do both those things. <laughs> so hire people in your operations group, your sales group that, that get and understand the value of those partnerships on the supplier side and even the customer side. You know, there's good customers and those customers you, you want to make sure that you're communicating with very well. And then, you know, on the operations and installation end, people that are detailed and believe in prep work and want to hold their reputation high because that as a business owner was something very important, especially on the contracting and coding side, right? You know, all of a sudden you're known for putting codings down that fail, you're not going to win. And, you know, I look back on a couple of the key suppliers I had, we had one that they're tremendous to work with, you know, any type of training, always delivering on time, had a you know, wonderful reputation in the industry. Their product in, in their case was a, uh, a densifying product that, you know, would stop dusting. And they had had one of the longest histories in the industry and they were providing, you know, very good product and their warranty to the customers was the longest and best. And so, you know, it just, it was a great alignment. And it was a good cornerstone piece to help build that business off of as we kept moving forward. And then when they brought out new products, you know, we were able to jump on board right away. They were one of the first to begin concrete polishing in, you know, kind of a larger scale because we had a good partnership with them that turned into additional work and opportunity. And we were able to develop that new product with them and train with them. And that, uh, again, helped grow the business with a great brand and a great reputation. So I think those are the three, three key points that I would give anybody starting out in, in coatings, whether it's roof, walls, floors, houses, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, that's something you definitely are going to want to take into consideration when you're building a business. Well said. And what sort of precipitated the sort of move towards where you are now? And roofing. Yeah. So I had bought my partner out in 2008 and my business was primarily new construction focused at the time. And as we all know, 2008 into 09 was not the greatest time to be doing new construction if you were a contractor. And so we had a rough time with replacing a lot of the business that, you know, kind of happened and, uh, or didn't happen, I would say. And so ran that for a number of years after, and then an opportunity presented itself for me to, to move out of that business and, and move on. And there's a lot of stress for me at that particular point. We've grown quite a bit, pretty rapidly. And a lot of our systems, as we got to that point, had not been able to keep up. So operationally, I found myself, you know, there at the office way too late, you know, spending more time on weekends, nights, and, and trying to keep up with people and hiring and everything that went along with that became pretty tough for me. So there was an opportunity to move out and move on from that business. What was interesting for me here at, at Metal Era, I had known uh, one of the owners at the time and uh, gotten to know him through a CEO and president's group. And I was considering my next business venture. I had presented, uh, hey, I'm going to start this. This is the type of business I'm going to go into to that, that business group. If you've ever presented a strategic plan, to a group of CEOs and presidents who have spent their entire existence tearing apart strategic plans. Sure. 
or trying to develop them, you know, I went through that meeting and I walked out of it and I was probably more confused, you know, than I'd ever been in my life. Like, what do I really want to do? What am I good at? What do I enjoy? And so after that meeting, you know, I was like, wow, maybe I should take a little time off, think a little harder about this plan before I restart and, and do something different. And uh, on the way to the car, my friend and that CEO had uh, stopped me and said, hey, how about you just come to work for me for a year and, and give me some time to sell some national accounts for me? And, you know, and I, I'm like, I don't know, I haven't been an employee for a very long time. So I don't know, I, I may be a terrible employee. I, I'm not sure. Probably some that said I was a terrible employee. I don't know. So he had my wife and I over for dinner and uh, our kids are about the same age. And we had uh, some good discussions. And, you know, really for me, after some discussion with my wife, the fact that I had two fairly young children at home, I made the decision at that point to uh, commit to a year and, uh, you know, come on board. And I did. And now here I am 10 years later. I've taken some different roles on in the business. My, my job has changed considerably from just national accounts. And now, uh, you know, I'm the vice president of sales and, and very involved in, in our executive committee and leadership group and, and have uh, really invested a lot to stay here and be here and, and committed to the future of this business. So, so that change has been different, right? Like you go from being your own boss and, and not really reporting up to anyone other than maybe a board member or an investor, you know, now at this point, you know, being kind of on that opposite end and having a board and, and group that we report up to as an executive committee, but being, you know, part of a, a much larger company and uh, multi-location, and certainly, you know, uh, we're the largest manufacturer of fascia and coping in North America. So big difference from being a regional coatings contractor, right, for for that 18-year span. Sure. And what sort of, I mean, obviously, you stayed on. You're, you're in your 10th, yeah. 10th year. What made it sort of good for you to stick around? Like what, 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 you know, made that one year turn into 10 years? And what things sort of made that? Because obviously, I feel like you're happy with what you're doing. So what's, what's made that good for you? Yeah, good question. I mean, there were a combination of things, but I will, I will tell you at the core of it, it really came down to being able to do what I talked about before that I knew I wanted to do in the beginning. And that was, you know, when I was young, going through college, I knew that I wanted to build something, right? And I wanted to be able to see what I built and work with teammates and people who helped me build that and were aligned with that. I love the people I work with. You know, frankly, when I started, uh, I had one other person on my team. And now my group is about 30 strong and they're just good people. And then, you know, the, the flip side of that is not only do I have 30 in our sales and marketing group, when we extend beyond that, you know, the employees at this company and now the, you know, the uh, second facility we have down in Asheville, there's, there's, you know, well over 250 of us now. And, you know, all those teammates are unique. They're different. They're, they're all different personalities, whatever that may be but they're good humans. And so, you know, we, we really have, I think a, a unique group of people and sure. a lot of experience in the industry. And it's just been a lot of fun together trying to build something yeah. bigger and better. Right. So yeah. walk me through how, what were your priority? You, you came in, you had one team member. What was your priority? What, what's some, what's some of the early ideas that you sort of implemented and how did it grow from there? 
when I first started, my job was national accounts. And so I was, uh, at the time, I think we called it strategic accounts manager. And so I was tasked with developing new direct relationships with people who valued our products and that maybe had never heard of us or were buying, you know, in unique channels or whatever that may be. And so, you know, really focused on places where I knew it would matter and, and that would find value in what we did. Multi-locations that were interested in, you know, let's call it repeatability, consistency, some of the strengths of Metal Era and, and now our, our sister company, Hickman, the strengths of that were repeatability, reliability, accountability. You know, every time a retailer wants a building envelope in one state and another similar in another state, by working with our program, our customers could get that consistency nationally. And so we targeted customers who were, were interested in that, would find value in that, who liked the fact that we produced a lot of our parts robotically. And then yeah, you just work to try to build those relationships and deliver that value. You know, what do you need? How can I help? You know, what's your prototype design looking like? And so that group went from two, I think we got up to around 10 or so, you know, at that point and, and started building that. It was a small part of the business was under 10% of the revenue. And, you know, now today that strategic group is, is well over 30% of our revenue. And so, you know, it's a big chunk of, of business and, you know, with strategic accounts comes a lot of responsibility. You have, you know, you have to service better. You have to, you know, make sure that that client feels unique and special and treated right because you're their primary point of contact for your business. So, so that was where I started and, and got to build that group out. And, and we would add resources as we needed to service the customer better or different or unique, or we would add additional sales resources to kind of follow up on that. And, um, and so that was, that was really the path. And then, um, you know, a couple of years into that, that group was doing really well. And uh, the business needed to expand some coverage on uh, our OEM portion of business and our independent rep organization, which was the other portions of business. And they wanted to kind of turn that piece into a growth area again. And so I was asked to kind of shift the role over to VP of sales. And then that allowed me to continue building out the team, you know, give others the opportunity to build strategically. We added regional management, you know, into the organization to be able to manage more of our private label OEM business as well. And so now that group, you know, was able to kind of take us from, you know, where we were to kind of allowing all channels for us to continue to grow. And so then the team continued expanding and then just recently, we went through a process of kind of realigning our sales org, uh, and that allowed us to build out some director positions. We've added a regional technical force that basically can go out and do field measurements for clients. That falls under the sales side as well now, and that's not something we had previously, but we found a lot of the large national contractors, even local contractors, need uh, some additional support on how to do metal products or, you know, perhaps they're having labor struggles and these regional techs really help them overcome that. So we made a, a huge investment in expanding that group. 
and made a huge investment in technology development to be able to make that group more effective. We, we brought to market some new technology that has never been used before, never was developed to basically spatially locate the perimeter and identify within thousands of an inch and tenth of a degree the accuracy of that field measurement that's being done currently today by you know, hundreds of different people throughout the U.S. at, at various different contractors. So kind of a neat, um, you know, neat progression when you kind of turn around and look back from what it was. And uh, I was playing around with the math before and, and the majority of our growth has been organic. We did do one acquisition last year and brought on our teammates down in Asheville, which has been tremendous. And then, uh, you know, the majority of it is, but we were you know, watching 500% growth in the time I've been here has been a, a fun thing to celebrate with teammates. And, uh, you know, there's, there's been so many people that have contributed to that. It's just, it's just awesome to see how well they've done. Yeah. I mean, when you see that kind of growth over a period of time, you have to deal with a lot of change. Yeah. How do you approach that? <laughs> so back to your original comment, right. On sports, right. As, as you grow up from being an, an eight-year-old trying to play volleyball or soccer or football or whatever your sport is, to trying to find your way to a, a varsity team in high school or maybe play in college, you have to be able to look at what you're doing and say, if I change this, what will it do for me or for my game or for my team? Going back to that, I think you know, trying new things to see if that can improve our skill set or bringing on new teammates that maybe add a dimension that we don't have today or being able to recognize, hey, when I do this, it doesn't work <laughs> or it didn't work. And then saying, I'm going to I'm going to stop that and I'm going to go over here and do that. That's been probably the most you know, the most challenging part of it. And it's also been the most fun. Right. It's it's being able to stop and say that didn't work or that did work or, hey, that's working really good. Let's do more of that. You know, those are all things that I think we we look at each day and try to figure out how to do together. And, you know, perhaps that's one of the things I enjoy the most is, is constantly trying to figure out how to get a little better. I also know that I don't know a lot of things. And so trying to learn uh, what can I do to be better has is, is been a fun part of that. Each year we try to pick a book or some type of a, you know, some type of a theme for our group. This last year, we used a, a book by James Clear called Atomic Habits, not a sales book by any stretch of the imagination, but for me, it had, it had allowed me to make some, some pretty big personal changes. And I brought that to the sales team and, you know, it was, Hey, take a look at what you're doing, what your habits are, because ultimately small changes in your habits that are repeated can, you know, lead to big swings or big differences. And so, you know, those are the kind of things we try to do, you know, are we perfect? Heck no. Will we make mistakes? Absolutely. But is that something that we need to do to get better? Absolutely. You know, we have to try some new things or, you know, try to improve. Otherwise you're just, you're just going to be stagnant and, and, you know, not get any better, which not, not good for us or for a business that you're trying to grow. Yeah. Well, Jane Claire, I get you. So going with that theme for a sec, what's a tiny change that you have made, a daily tiny change that you have made that that's had the biggest impact on anything that you, you do? Okay, so I'm gonna give you two because I like both of them. So number one, at 11.45 every day, 
I get a reminder to make a phone call to someone I have not talked to in six months or longer. And uh, I've had some amazing conversations with people I haven't talked to in a long time. And, you know, some of them have, uh, I, I would just say, been changing for me. Like, oh, my goodness, you know, I, I never thought of that. I, I, I miss you. I haven't. It's just kind of interesting. And, um, you know, it's a little change that has reconnected me with some people I haven't talked to in, in ages it's a great way to let some people know that you're still thinking about them, you care about them. And uh, while it can be business, it can be personal. I don't, you know, intermix. Just that daily change was something I would call special for, for me. And, um, you know, has been a huge change in, in some of my outcomes. So one small change. The second one that's been interesting, and this is, this is more related to my health. You know, each morning I have, uh, I set up an automated system for what my breakfast is going to be. <laughs> I know it sounds kind of funny, but I get the delivery once a month from, you know, the vendor that I buy from a specific protein shake that I like to drink and uh, a, a specific number of coffees with no milk or sugar in it is what I drink. And, you know, that's, you know, my morning breakfast. And over the last two years, that's led to a considerable amount of weight loss. Um, I was able to go off a of medication I was on. It's helped me lower my blood pressure and and certainly feel a lot healthier and and happier. And you know, again, it's a small change, not a huge one, but done repeatedly. You know, let's say you cut out 200 calories a day for X number of weeks or months, and that change in and of itself makes a huge difference for you. Sustaining that is kind of a unique way to do it. So even when I travel, I, I try to go buy that uh, for breakfast. And uh, and what I've noticed, let's say one day I have to do a podcast at 1145 and I can't make that phone call or, you know, I happen to be traveling and, and they I can't find the protein shake or I wasn't able to bring it on the plane with me. I don't beat myself up for missing a day. I just jump back on the next day and I get caught up. And, you know, it's become a habit now, you know, for, for a very long time or for a very good period. And that habit in and of itself has made huge changes for me, both of them. So those kind of things have been unique. And that would be two of my favorite, let's call them takeaways from, from those books. Wonderful. From small daily changes to big trends, what are some of the big trends that you're following that's uh, interesting to you? So I think uh, one of the biggest things that I've been paying attention to has been the, the supply chain disruption. You know, certainly in roofing and roofing materials, that's been a huge impact to a lot of people. I try to put myself in the shoes of the the contractor, you know, which I was one, granted on the flooring and coating side, but in the roofing material side, you know, really as I as I look back, I'm not sure. I would be able to deal with it or would have dealt with it just as well or as well as some of these contractors are today. And, and many have found some unique ways through that and dealing with that. I mean, quite frankly, following how they're doing that and paying attention to what's happening in the industry has been fascinating, both positive stories and negative stories, right? Sure. You know, seeing how some contractors have been able to fight their way through it or get creative has been awesome. And then unfortunately, seeing some of the negatives that uh, the supply chain has had on, on customers and clients and, and, you know, contractors has been bad. I think what's fascinating to me is, you know, are there any structural changes that will occur because of this, 
right? Did, did a buying habit change? Did the market change? You know, will material prices find their way back to where they were? Or are we, you know, forever linked to this inflationary time and, and you know, uh, where we're going to head? We've seen some uh, decreased costs in steel and aluminum of late. You know, it started to move its way back down. It's certainly not anywhere near what it was, you know, back in 19 or 20. But ultimately, we've seen some relief. And um, one of the things you saw from us at MTL, we pushed a uh, price relief program to contractors quite early in the process, even before we had received some of our discounting. And we just made the decision that, you know, hey, it's important. Maybe this helps some contractors. We brought on some new capacity down in our facility in Asheville when some new equipment, which was delayed (laughs) to us, finally arrived. And the, uh, you know, awesome teammates we have down there were able to get it running and hopefully getting more effective and and, uh, productive. And, And so we made the decision instead of you know, trying to pocket the gain from that to um, deploy that as price decrease, you know, perhaps before others were seeing that. So I think that's been fascinating to follow, you know, and, and understanding what the structural changes will be from that effect. I would just also tell you that having watched how many have dealt with it makes me even more proud of how our teams in Asheville and Waukesha dealt with it. You know, right now we're at like 98 or 99% on time uh, are on time when we miss. It's a one day delay typically or two maybe. But overall, this team is, you know, very, very much fought through all the issues created from not only COVID, but the supply chain issues from COVID, the rising material prices. It's been awesome to see how our operations group has worked through that. Our customer service group has worked through it, our technical sales group, you know, as you work your way, engineering, order processing, everyone has had to deal with that, even purchasing. I mean, can you imagine today trying to be a purchasing agent? How do you do that? So watching that has been a lot of fun to see the response, not to see the pain or the difficulty, but to watch how well our teammates have come through that together has been really eye-opening. We celebrated our you know, get together in Waukesha for all of our employees, you know, annually, we go to the state fair in Wisconsin, which is, I think some of the best people watching in the state. It's a lot of fun. So we did a big party celebrating that last week. We also got to celebrate the fact that through what I would call three of the most difficult years to be either an employee or an employer, <laughs> like doesn't matter, just to be a human. Three of the last, three of the last years, you know, MTL or Metal Era has been able to celebrate being a best workplaces in Wisconsin all three years. Awesome. You know, I look at that and am so proud of the team we have here, all the other employees that are part of that that make that possible. It's just really cool. So a lot of fun, and uh, I guess those are some of the big trends I've been watching, paying attention to, and then kind of marveling at how it's impacting the industry and, and the humans in the industry. Awesome, Brad. I mean, your wealth of information. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your background and story. Yeah, well, we appreciate it, Tats. Thank you for having me. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Very, very easy conversation. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash tats talks for video of today's podcast 
hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.